Welcome to AM Best Audio. Extreme weather events are having a bigger impact on the insurance industry than ever before. I'm John Weber for AM Best TV and we're at the 2023 Verisk Insurance Conference. Speaking today to Sarah Bobby, Principal Engineer for Verisk, Alistair Watt, Chief Product Officer for IBHS, and Greg Pine, Vice President Property Estimating for Verisk. And Alistair, we're going to start with you today because building codes are such a big part of these extreme weather events. Now, what is the state of building codes in the U.S. these days? No, I don't often get the question, what about building codes? Uh, it's not a topic that you often hear at dinner parties or in, in small talk. So I'm very happy that you're asking, asking about it. It's something that we should talk more about. It is critical uh, to the resiliency of our built environment. And yet we are more impressed with storms. We're impressed by the image of a tornado. We're impressed by the, the damage of a tornado making its way through a, a small town in the Delta in Mississippi. Um, and that's not the real story. The real story is what happened before that storm came, what actions were taken, what did the municipalities do in terms of adopting strong building codes that were, were able to resist and withstand those winds? That's the real story, and that's what we really need to be talking about. We see in our um, we see in our research facility in South Carolina, we have a full scale uh, wind tunnel. We, we can put two story houses in there, and we see the cascading <clears throat> the cascading damage that happens when high winds attack a building. And they go after the weakest link. And there always is a weakest link. Um, you cannot build a fortress. But you, what you can do is build everything up to a level that's going to withstand strong winds. And for example, you see over and over again, if you look at any footage of after a tornado has gone through, you'll see images of weak garage doors that basically like pieces of tinfoil fold inwards. And then the wind pressure builds up and it swells and it pushes out the, the, the walls and the wind comes and lifts the roof and it pops the roof off. You'll see that, that damage mode over and over again of a garage door missing and a roof being structurally damaged. And you can, you can solve for this problem. You just buy a high wind rated garage door or even better, you put it into code and you require it for all new construction. That, those are the kind of steps that we need to take. We look at... Um, what happened in Mississippi, we had an EF4 uh, long track tornado. Now people think EF4, my gosh, that sounds like Twister. That sounds like the finger of God. Now EF4 is the, it relates to the damage that was caused, not the wind speed. In other words, if you had an environment that is built to strong building codes that are enforced and a tornado comes through, it might be an EF0 because it did little damage because the environment was ready. In, in the case of Mississippi, there was no building code for residential construction. There was a code from 1957 for commercial construction. So it tore up the place. That's why it was an EF4. It wasn't a particularly impressive storm. The same happened a few weeks later in Illinois, where there was an EF3. There were houses that were ripped off their foundations. That should not have happened at, that, at those kind of wind speeds. It just relates to, again, when somebody built that house, there was no one that came along and said, how is this thing anchored to the foundation and is it done properly? Those are the kind of things that we need to see. So that's the doom and gloom. The, 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 bright, the bright part of this is to look at Florida. 
We don't often see things in Florida that we're particularly proud of when it comes to resiliency, but, but we are when it comes to building codes. The Florida Building Code has adopted um, the sealed roof deck, which is a key part of the fortified system that IBHS has designed. And um, we saw with Hurricane Ian, we know the footage, well, aerial footage before Ian and after Charlie. So we can tell when houses were built. We can tell it from permits to, we can tell it from aerial imagery. And then we looked at the damage that happened during Hurricane Ian. And we can tell you which houses were built to strong building codes. Those are the ones that weren't damaged. And so we know it works and it can be done and it's horribly complicated getting there. And I challenge our viewers here on the, on the topic of building codes in their small talk, in their dinner parties is ask a friend if they know what the building code is in their jurisdiction. Tweet it and tag IBHS. Bobby, you're an engineer. You heard him say that he can't build a fortress. Is he correct? I mean, you can build a fortress if you really set your mind to it. It's quite expensive, um, but we have seen cases where structures have been very well constructed and they have performed very well in hurricanes. For example, in Mexico Beach after Hurricane Michael, there was this one structure um, that you know withstood the force of the winds. It was built quite high, um, it was elevated, so it also withstood the surge forces and it was still standing after the event. I was there and I saw it with my own eyes. So how are insurers looking at the building codes then? I will say that that house um, was uh, owned by a doctor and uh, it, was, it was actually a Habitat uh, house and it was built to the fortified standard. Uh, so it was built in that particular area to withstand 180 mile an hour winds. Um, and none of the houses anywhere, anywhere near it were built to that level. That's why they were all Turn it when that category five, tight category five hurricane came in. Um, so how do insurers look at it? Well, you know, it's kind of, I know that the audience knows this, but it's, it, it, it's worth restating. And, and that's, a, you know, codes are a horrible mess. Uh, and I say that in, in the kindest way, um, because your average person expects that there's some kind of encyclopedia they can pull off the wall where you can look up your jurisdiction, your municipality, and it'll tell you what the code level is. No, it's like going into a library with no indexing. And so you have to, there's no national code. You know, this is not Australia. This is not Canada. This is not the UK. There's a commonality there across those three uh, countries, but uh, this, is, this is the United States. And, and codes don't exist at a federal level. Um, they can exist at a state level. There are some states that have adopted statewide building codes, but individual jurisdictions within the state have to adopt it and then enforce it in order for it to be effective. And so in, uh, take uh, Alabama as an example, the two, uh, the two lower coastal, state, coastal counties in Alabama have adopted um, a supplement which takes them above the, the statewide code but they don't enforce it. So an insurer is looking at it and saying, okay, the code says that this house should be built to withstand certain pressures and certain severe weather, but I wonder if it was built properly. Hmm. I think that's a, a very key point. A lot of adoption is going on, but the enforcement piece is another part of it that sometimes get, gets forgotten. You know, as they come into these homes later after the fact, it was built in a certain time frame, they assume it was built to that code, but if the enforcement wasn't in place, it may not be. 
And then was the house modified? Did they, did they build, did they add on? And when did they add on? And to what code level was that, add, was that addition? You don't, you, it gets very, very complicated for an insurer to be able to accurately uh, determine the, the, uh, the vulnerability of that structure to severe weather. So Greg, how are costs impacted by these extreme events these days? That, that's a great question. And it's, it's very interesting. As I've looked at costs over time and doing this for over 25 years, as events come through, the impact can vary. It can vary based on the location, based on the current state of the economy. So for example, if, if the economy is booming, new construction is going, a lot of new houses are being built, and a, a, an extreme event goes through that area or through an area that's impacted that way, the impact on the cost for that extreme event is going to be a lot higher because the demand is high and people are already busy. And to find people to come in and help repair those homes um, and restore them, there's not a lot of people available to do it. Or people are coming from outside of that area to come in and do it, which is a higher cost to bring people in from outside and house them, do that type of work. Where in situations where the economy is more depressed and something goes through an extreme event, there's more people available, ready to do the work. So the cost impact there will be less, which, which makes sense, but it really does vary. You think about back when Sandy came through, it had a very different impact than Katrina, you know, the way the economy was during that time. So there's an impact there as well as the type of work being done. But an important part of it is those building codes. If they get better, houses get better, there's less damage that can help impact those costs as well. And I also want to mention that Catastrophe models are a really great tool that insurers can use to help um, them understand their risk a little bit better when it comes to how structures are built um, and what that means for their vulnerability. Within our catastrophe models, we have a pretty extensive vulnerability framework where we do consider building codes in their enforcement. So we first start by studying the model building codes. We take a look, for example, at the um, International Code Council codes, the International Building Code, the inter International Residential Code. We understand what that means um, at a more general level for structural vulnerability. And then we dig down deeper from there. Different states then adopt the model codes. Um, they can make their own amendments or they can adopt the codes as is. We study those state adoptions with any amendments. Um, furthermore, jurisdictions can also then sometimes choose to adopt and amend state codes further, depending on the state. A state like Florida has a you know very strict statewide building code, and that's not possible. But in other states, there are amendments at a more local level. And so we study those as well, and what that means for building vulnerability. And then you have some states um, which were already mentioned that don't necessarily have building codes. And so we also study what that means. And we are able to build that into our vulnerability framework. We study not only the codes, but also the code adoption. Um, within Verisk, we have a product called BSEGS, um, uh, the building code effectiveness grading schedule. And uh, that team basically understands code adoption um, and code enforcement. And so we've partnered with them to understand the code enforcement piece. And we have developed countywide building code enforcement scores that we use within our catastrophe models um, to basically get a deeper understanding of that code enforcement. And we've rolled that out at the county level for the first time with the updated severe thunderstorm model for the United States that came out last June. 
So it's a really, really important aspect to understand, and it is something that catastrophe models can be used to better understand. Now, as an engineer, I have to assume, though, you're not concerned about the cost whatsoever as your counterpart Greg is. You just want the job done right. I mean, I definitely want the job done right. Um, but when it comes to the cost, we do look to the users of our models to input the correct replacement values. From, so from that perspective, it's also important for users to have an understanding of the cost of these structures in their portfolio. That, that's a very important part. There is a cost aspect to it, both in the fact of the cost to insure that home, as well as the cost to fortify that home or build it to codes that are that are better. And there's a balance there. You know, you can build a fortress that can withstand anything, but as was mentioned, the cost of that is going to be very high. Um, but there's some simple things that can be done, building codes that are important, that don't cost that much more, that really should be adopted, and there'd be a lot of savings involved in these structures if those simple things would be adopted. Yeah, and there's some good news here too. Uh, amongst all the all the destruction that storms uh, create, if you live in an area where there is not strong cows or there's not strong corrosion, or you do, but but you, there's the enforcement aspects not there, um, you can go to IBHS um, and you can look up the Fortified program. Uh, it is designed specifically to provide the highest level of protection that we think is 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 economically achievable. Um, you get a piece of paper that says, the cert a, certificate, a certificate that IBHS offered that issues that says this house was built to the correct standard, our standard. Insurers recognize that. And in some states, and depending on insurers, you know, we don't talk, we're more on the sign side rather than the pricing side, but some insurers will actually give you a financial incentive for doing that because you have lowered the risk. It's a three-tier system. You know, damage starts at the roof, then it goes to openings. We talked about garage doors, and then it attacks the structure. Um, and so at the gold level, it's all the way down to the structure. Um, the cost for a new construction to go to the fortified gold level is round about, depending on, and this is an old number, it's pre-COVID and all the supply chain issues. So, you know, put some wiggle around it, but it's about 3% the total cost. So, and there's a study from the University of Alabama that looked at what is the real estate value of a house once it has been fortified to the gold level. And they saw when that study was conducted, a 7% increase in the value. So you put 3% in, you get 7% out, and you get peace of mind along the way. Do you think it's possible to get municipalities to update their outdated or obsolete building codes based on those sort of financial incentives? Well, I would say this. Let's go back to the, the tweet challenge. Tag your local municipality. Tag your mayor uh, in that tweet and ask if he knows or she knows uh, how strong their code is relative to what the, the latest ICC uh, recommendation is. One of the great things is, though, there's more data available today than there ever has been on modeling and, and codes and things like that that insurance companies have access to to help them make decisions. That's a that's a very a very good thing that that there's more information, more data available, and making the public aware of it as well is a big impact in, in how this may go down the road. And on top of that, the engineering is better than ever before as well, right? That is true. It's getting there. <laughs> Sarah, Alistair, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. 
Thank you. Thank you. From the 2023 Verisk Insurance Conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, I'm John Weber for IM Best TV. Looking to get the full attention of the insurance industry? We have the platforms that will do just that. Whether it be AM Best TV, AM Best Audio, Best Review Magazine, or Best Day. Find out more by calling AM Best Advertising Sales at 908-439-2200, extension 5399, and have a great day.